0: Safe in the arms of Jesus Safe on His gentle breast There by His love o'ershaded Sweetly my soul shall rest Jesus, my heart's dearest has died for me firm on the rock of ages ever my trust shall be here let me wait with patience wait till the night is o'er wait till I Sure. Safe in the arms of Jesus, safe on his gentle breast, there by his love or sweetly my soul shall rest.
1: 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Let's bow in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for your great love and mercy to us. Thank you for each one present here today. We thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for the peace and freedom we enjoy in this country. We pray for Israel and pray for Jerusalem. Uh, we know those who uh, tamper with your uh, beloved city and nation uh, are touching the apple of your eye. And we ask, Lord, for Oh, peace of jerusalem we know that the ultimate peace is going to come when jesus comes and we pray your blessing now on our meeting here today bless pastor miller as he preaches to us we pray that you'd help us to receive uh, the truths from your word bless the fellowship to follow we pray in jesus name amen, amen. god bless you be seated well here
2: we go again <laughs> the hamas has attacked uh, Israel nine days ago and has put the world in at large on the verge of some pretty perilous times and uh, some pretty serious hostilities. Uh, Do understand, this is not a battle over a little sliver of land. If you ever get a map and look, It's just a little sliver of land. And uh, when they gave it to Israel back in the early 40s or before, uh, when they gave it to Israel, or in the 40s rather, when they gave it to them, it really wasn't a very good land. It was rather desolate. And because of their stewardship and God's blessing, it is a flourishing chunk of land. But this battle is the fruit of a demonic hatred For a special group of people. And that is the Jewish people. That's why we have this. That's where the problem is. Now if you struggle with wanting to believe the Bible. I think here's a good thing to consider. What other group of people has been so historically hated. I mean this even goes back to the Old Testament when they tried to annihilate this group of people and failed. And even in the last century they tried to annihilate this group of people and failed and uh, Iran, who uh, boast of funding this kind of stuff and, and orchestrating this kind of stuff, their goal, they have said, Iran and Hamas and, and each of those, they said, they want to kill and annihilate the Jewish people. Eliminate them. That's their goal. It is not about going after the land. And after all of these years, decades, millennia, they still survive. No other people group has endured such affliction or survived such an affliction. But these people are God's people. Now, having said that, understand, they're not walking with God right now as a nation. Quite frankly, they're quite antagonistic to God. But they're still God's people and God is working with them. There's a growing anxiety because of this and a concern that the tsunami of hostilities will cross the pond and maybe even reach our country or local communities. They have called for that type of action. And I think uh, there's justifiable cause when you look at the uh, uh, illicit governing and corruption in government and the open borders and just everything that's going on. I think there is justifiable cause for concern amongst Americans as to what's going to happen closer to home. Uh, we, we are accustomed to all of these battlegrounds being overseas, with the exception of 9 11. And so, yes, there are concerns. And I too see it, recognize it, and am concerned about it. But concerned in the means of, you know what, we don't have to live in fear. And the perfect love of God casteth out fear. And as believers, we have experienced the perfect love of God, and we do not have to live in fear. Now, we don't live in foolishness. we live wisely. But I want to look at this text, and we're going to take First and Second Thessalonians, and we're going to look at the word "comfort." And see what Paul has to say for us about comforting us in times of affliction, adversity, and persecution. And we have the verses read out of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. And he said, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. You'll find that in in this book and the previous book, the word comfort is used five times. Let me give you a little background as to why Paul was comforting the people at Thessalonica. Do understand, 1 Thessalonians was the first letter and epistle that Paul had written. Uh, Only one other book of the New Testament was written before this. It is believed that the book of Galatians was written before 1 Thessalonians. But there was 1 Thessalonians, and then there was uh, the... uh, Second Thessalonians that was written after that. And these were the early books that Paul had written. And he wrote it to a community and to a church in Thessalonica. And here's a little as to why he needed to write them and comfort them in what was going on. You know the background where Paul was wanting to go on his missionary journey. And he was wanting to go north and wanting to go east. And the Holy Spirit would not allow him to do that. And finally, he got the Macedonian call and went across over into Philippi. And there he preached the gospel. And we see that a church was planted in Philippi. Well, wherever Paul preached, it seemed to uh, create revival and, and an evangelistic service and souls being saved and, and a church being planted. But many times it created riot and problems. At Philippi, he was accosted, beaten, and thrown in jail. Through that, the jailer and his household was saved. And and shortly thereafter, his release, he left Philippi, traveled about 100 miles on the Aegean Way, which was the major pathway from uh, Asia to the Middle East and, and the commerce. And he came to Thessalonica. And while he was at Thessalonica, Paul, Timothy, and Silas were there. Paul preached and taught for three Sabbath days. That's about three weeks. Now, we don't know if he arrived on Friday and preached Saturday, and, and after three Sabbath days, which would be just over two weeks, he was run out, or whether it lasted a little bit more than these particular three days. But it was a very brief time. It, we know for a fact that he was there preaching and teaching the Word of God three Sabbath days. There were some Jews that got saved and many Gentiles. Because of this, it provoked the Jewish leadership again. Many of them came down from Philippi that uh, run him out of Philippi. They come down to create a problem and to uh, run him out. And in the process, the uh, host where Paul was staying, Jason, they drug him out in the streets in the middle of the riot. And Paul had to leave under the covertness of darkness for his own safety. Now, these are young believers. They'd only been saved a short time. The New Testament had not been written. And so there was a lot of things they didn't know. And they couldn't just sit down and say, okay, here's, I got to leave. Here's a Bible. Read the Bible. Or here's the New Testament. Read the New Testament. And you'll get the whole word of God that you need for the church. And you'll know enough to be able to get started uh, for where you're at now. They didn't have that. And so, not long after he had left, he learned of some things that was happening back at Thessalonica. There was adversity, there was persecution. And along the way, certain of the believers had died, and it raised a great question. What happens to those that have died in Christ? Is it all over for them? And do you understand there was an inscription in Thessalonica that stated after death, no reviving after the grave, no meeting again. This is what they grew up with. This is any time they go down to the shopping center. Uh, I don't know what shopping center you go to or whatever. If there is something iconic there that you see and recognize on a regular basis, this was something that they would pass on a regular basis and it would be burnt into their minds. And unfortunately, people would believe it as true simply because it was put on a monument. And so their question was, and we would understand that Paul had taught about the end times. He must have had quite a lot of time in his preaching and teaching. And many of them must have been there quite extensively. Because even in what he preached and taught, he taught on some events of the end times. But he didn't have time to finish. It would be about, uh, if we were getting into about uh, 15 minutes from now halfway through my message, and I can't finish it. You wouldn't know the rest of the message for today. And and in those days, they didn't have the social media and the ways to put it online for them to finish it. And so there was a lot of things that had been untaught, unsaid, and they did not know. And so the question was, what happens to those of our loved ones who are believers that have already died? And Paul answers that question in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, verses, what is it, about 13, down through the end of that book, or that chapter. And it concludes that statement with, comfort one another with these words. So folks, there is something about knowing the reality of what's going to happen in the end times that can both comfort us and encourage us. To go on and live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wrote these two books. I believe with a threefold purpose. This is what some of the other authors would agree with as well. But one to confirm the young converts in their gospel. Uh, Confirm them in assurance of salvation. I, I am sure... That just as today, there was occasions back then, of those who had received Jesus Christ as their Savior, that struggled with assurance, and struggled with knowing. Okay, I I I know, I I had a spirit of repentance, and I put my faith in Jesus Christ, but am I really, 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 really saved? And so undoubtedly there were those that struggled with assurance of salvation. And so he wrote these two books with just a brief time in between them to confirm the young converts in the gospel. To assure them of their salvation through Jesus Christ, their Savior. And then to challenge them to holy living. It's, he doesn't present the gospel as simply an escape of hell or a get-into-heaven-free ticket. He presents the gospel as not only eternal life, but a new and abundant life, and a changed life, a different life in Christ. And he challenges them, and, and as he has spoken about being comforted, if you would read these two books... Not only do we have the clearest teaching on the doctrine of the rapture, but we have some of the clearest teaching that Christians ought to live holy lives. And and those two will go together. And so over and over through these two books, he's challenging them and, and he commended them that they had turned from dead idols and turned from the pagan gods to serve the living God. And he wanted to challenge them to go forward in godly living. And then he wanted to comfort them regarding Christ's coming. As I mentioned, the word comfort is used five times. It is interesting where this word comes from. The Greek word is parakaleo. And those that know a little Greek and a little bit would understand that it is also associated with the comforter that is given. The word comfort means to come alongside and to encourage and to lift up and to challenge to go forward and strengthen with that. And so he wrote these to comfort the believers. It seems to me that when inescapable, perilous times come, folks become concerned about the end times and what's going to happen after death. You see... I say, inescapable times. We we realize the bad things are happening in the Middle East right now, and there were people that were partying. There were people that were in their homes with their family, uh, in, a, in a variety of things, and the the adversity and the tragedy, and the brutality that was experienced was inescapable, which put into the minds of of many people, either close or far away from that, could this happen here? Could this happen to me? We realize that that there's rumbles of warfare all over there. They're saying we have a 50-50 chance of a world war again. I don't say these things to to create fear or create panic or anything like that. I'm just saying, this is the world we're living in. And when people would seriously think, and you need to seriously think about the world we live in today, and realize that inescapable harm could come down your path. And for most people, when they face this, one of the first things they want to know, what happens after death? Now, there can be a host of people that do not want to believe God, that deny there is a God. They want to think that after death, there is no no meeting, no grave, no life, no whatever. They may want to believe that, but they have absolutely nothing to prove that. And they have absolutely nothing to ground their hope in that. Because... The Bible says there is something after death. And people want to know what's going to happen. Well, let's look at what Paul has to say in these times of of peril. And, And do understand, the people there at Thessalonica, they were facing adversity. They were facing persecution. One of them, Jason, with whom uh, Paul had been staying with and and his team who had been staying with, they were drug out of their house, out into the streets in the midst of a riot. And that type of hostilities really did not go away from what they were trying to, to do in their lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they had reason to question what is going to happen. It is in this book, 1 Thessalonians, that Paul gives the clearest instruction about the rapture and then says, comfort one another with these words. Uh, Chapter 4 and verse 18, wherefore comfort one another with these words. And Paul explains these end times and believes it can be a comfort for us. We're living in in an era in America And probably beyond to where the events of the end time are becoming so convoluted and an awful lot of false teaching, an awful lot of false doctrine from just simply wrong to trying to be fanciful and ecstatic or or try to be that unique individual or whatever it is. And if ever there's a time where we really need to know the truth, what does the Bible say about the end times? We need to know the truth about the end times. What does the Bible say? Because I believe when we understand that, it can be comforting. It can be encouraging in adverse times. Now, the word rapture, there are some people that don't believe in a rapture. They change timing of the rapture, whatever. But I need you to understand first that the word rapture does not appear in the Bible. It is not used in the Bible. It is an English word that is used to describe a Bible doctrine. Let me give you another illustration the word Trinity. Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. Now, you do not find the word Trinity in the Bible. But the word Trinity represents that doctrine that I just explained. And we use that as a shortcut rather than giving that whole long sentence of that doctrinal truth. And so if somebody says, I believe in the Trinity... Well, the doctrine of the Trinity, I believe in one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And so that is an English word that defines or describes or is used to represent a Bible doctrine. The word rapture is the same way. The word rapture is not found in the Bible. I understand the Greek word parousia, and I'm not sure I pronounce that correctly, but it has to do with the taking out, the lifting out. The removing of that is found in our context or in some of the contexts that deal with the rapture, and that 's the principle of the rapture. it represents this doctrine. So let me explain if you would turn to first Thessalonians just back up in your Bibles, uh, a page first Thessalonians chapter four, and I will read verse thirteen and then explain what. The rapture is. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Now here's what we understand. The question was that uh, the believers, the young believers at Thessalonica were asking, what has happened to the believers who in Christ who have died before the coming of Christ? And so here he's talking about, I would not have you ignorant. When he uses the word asleep, that's a euphemetic word for having died, they're dead. And that we do not sorrow as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, it's talking about believing with faith unto salvation. Even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain, and he's talking about believers in Christ, who are born again, and remain unto the coming of the Lord, shall not prevent, again, that's an old English word, precede, prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, And with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So here's what we understand. There is coming a point. It's going to be a once an eternity event. We call it the rapture. It will come at the end of this church age when the last trump will sound and Jesus Christ will descend out of heaven into the air. And everybody who has died that is a believer in Christ will be raised or resurrected out of the grave and they will meet him in the air. And then, after the dead in Christ have been raised, those of us, if it was to happen right now, and if you are here, you are a believer in Christ, every believer in Christ, we will be raised and meet Jesus Christ in the air. It, it doesn't say part. Some people say there's only a partial rapture, only a handful of believers are going to go. It doesn't say a part. All believers We'll be raptured and meet Jesus Christ in the air. And then we will go with him back to heaven. Now, there's some things that's going to happen in heaven. I don't have time to go through that. But that's what the rapture is. The next question is, when will this happen? As I mentioned, it is the very next event in God's prophetic calendar. There is no other event, no other special work of God that has to happen before the rapture takes place. You see, if you look at verse 17, uh, it could happen at any time. It is imminent, and that's what the word imminent means, could happen at any time. And the reason we know that is because in verse 17, Paul says, then, we which are alive. The Apostle Paul looked forward to the rapture in his lifetime as well. He didn't say, and then those Christians that are living in, whenever it happens, they will go. But he understood that it could happen at any time. It didn't happen, have to happen in his lifetime. It hasn't had to happen between his lifetime and my lifetime. But it could happen at any time. And he was looking forward to it even in his day. So that's why we understand that it was an imminent and is an imminent event as to when it will happen. Paul was not looking for uh, the seven-year tribulation. He wasn't looking for the beginning of the seven-year tribulation. He wasn't looking for a season of God's wrath. And it is the great wrath that will happen during the seven-year tribulation. He wasn't looking for that. And we know that it will happen quickly or suddenly. In 1 Corinthians 15, 52, that talks about this as well. It says, in the twinkling of an eye, in a moment... So here's what we understand about the rapture. We understand that it could happen at any moment, even in Paul's life because he even looked forward to it, or it could happen in our lifetime. It is only for the believers, both dead and alive. The unbelievers will not participate in this. They will go on with where they are. And it will take only a moment, a twinkling of an eye, and we will meet the Lord Jesus Christ in the air. Now, there's a distinction between the rapture of the church and the return of Christ to this earth. You'll find an, a lot more conversation about the return of Christ to the earth than you do about the rapture today. And it's wrong now the the lord will return at the end of the seven year tribulation but what they are looking for is the return and not the rapture here's the distinction between the two for the rapture christ meets his church in the air he doesn't come to this earth at that time he does not put his feet on the earth at that time he meets the church in the air The later return at the end of the seven-year tribulation, there is the Christ return at that time and at that point. And he comes with his church and he puts his feet down on this earth and he comes to the earth. And he will set up his kingdom at that time. And so there is a great distinction with that. And we need to understand it. And there's a lot of people that are saying, well, believers are going to go through the first half of the seven-year tribulation. Some of them call it mid-tribulation. Some call it post-tribulation, where we'll have, they believe Christians will go through all seven years. Some call it pre-wrath and not necessarily mid-tribulation. But the fact of the matter, if you will do a study, that the seven-year tribulation in its entirety is referred to... As the wrath of God. Turn with me, if you would, to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. <clears throat> the sealed judgments have been opened and getting ready for the uh, next set of judgments of what is happening. And so we have these judgments that are taking place uh, with that. And so this is already happening. And in verse 16 and 17, or let me back up to verse 15. "...and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains." This happens in the seven-year tribulation. Even the greatest of men with all of their wealth, they're hiding. And here's what they say. And said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come. And who shall be able to stand? It doesn't say will come or is about to come here we are in the first half of the tribulation and it is defined that it has already come the wrath of the lord it doesn't start at the midtime of the seven year tribulation and so and and why would they be hiding and asking the mountains and rocks to fall on them if the wrath of god hadn't started and so there we understand now let's go back to 1 Thessalonians. I want you to notice these key verses. In 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1, verse 10. After he has introduced himself in the epistle and encouragement, here towards the end of the very first chapter, in verse 10, Paul says unto them, and to wait for his son from heaven, now, he's not talking about selling everything and go sitting in some parlor or whatever and wait for the Lord Jesus Christ to come. There have been occasions uh, in the last uh, century where there were people that say, well, now's the time for the Lord. Sell everything. Bring in your money. And put on white robes and went and sat on a m- mountain. No. That's not what it's talking about. In fact, later in these two books, he said there was a problem. There were some people that were thinking that way. And they became busybodies. And he said, go get you a job. Work till it happens. And and quit being a nuisance and quit causing troubles. Get a job. Take care of your own. So when he's talking about waiting, he's not saying let's all sell everything and let, let's all go to the church and let's just sit there and wait and pray and, and have uh, potluck dinners and, and everything and wait for the for the uh, rapture to happen and and that would just turn into decadence is what it would. And he said, get busy. When he says to wait, it is to live with the anticipation that he could come at any time. Wait for his son from heaven. When he raised from the dead, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from what? Let's try that again. That was a little weak. Which delivered us from? You see what? Here's a very clear statement. That as believers, we will not go through the wrath. And the entire seven-year tribulation is referred to as the wrath of God. That's what he's talking about here. Now, turn over to chapter 5 and verse 9. And this is just before verse 11 when he says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together. In verse 9 he says, For God hath not appointed us... Believers in Christ, to what? To wrath. You see? In chapter 1, verse 10, he will deliver us from wrath. Here, he says we are not appointed to wrath. That's not ours. You don't need to worry about it. You don't need to to wonder uh, how you will live through that. And so, uh, this we know. God has given us this comfort and this understanding. Now, just because we will escape the wrath of God in the seven-year tribulation does not mean that we will escape the afflictions of man before then. Chapter 3, verse 3. And here, this follows the word comfort. You know, sometimes we become discomforted. We, we lose our encouragement. We get discouraged and downhearted, and we make bad choices. Is because we have wrong thoughts or have been taught false doctrine. But here he says that no man should be moved by these afflictions. They were suffering some afflictions. Folks, we've had adversity, but but we really do not know what it means to suffer affliction for our faith. Nobody here has gone and preached or shared the gospel and been stoned and left for dead. Nobody has been beaten with 39 stripes of a whip and thrown into jail and put in bonds for preaching the gospel. Now we we suffer things and they 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 hurt us maybe not physically but emotionally and mentally. And these people suffered the whole gamut of all of that. And Paul told them, Don't let them move you. Don't let it change you. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. As believers, we will face Adversity, persecution, in perilous times for the faith. But as bad as that could be, it will not be as bad as the wrath of God in the seven-year tribulation. And so we can be comforted with that. There is one noticeable difference that will happen before the rapture in 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto Him, that ye should not soon be shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, that for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition." It talks about a spiritual falling away. This can include everything from the whole world falling away from the testimony and influence of God to a very wicked, evil culture. But it also includes the falling away of churches and the apostatizing of churches. Over the last two to three decades, just in America alone, Christendom has apostatized dramatically. So much so that in the behavior, people who claim to be Christians, their behavior looks little or no different than the lost world. They dress like the lost, drink like them, their language is like them their behavior, their direction, their entertainment. It's pretty... Unless they had some big tattoo that said Jesus or something on it, you would never know (laughs) that uh, they were Christians. And just because you put a tattoo doesn't mean you're a Christian either. Or have some attire that says that doesn't make you a Christian. It's when we have a spirit of repentance and put our faith in Jesus Christ. That's what makes us a Christian. But something else that is happening in a great falling away, not only in the behavior, but in the beliefs. It has been so apostatized that many times you cannot tell the difference between what calls themselves Christian and the mysticism of paganism. It is becoming so intertwined. I think we could honestly say there has been quite a falling away. And so I do believe we are ripe for the rapture. Now, why should knowing and understanding the truth about the rapture encourage us? And I need another 30 minutes, but I don't have it. (laughs) Number one, because we are given a glorious hope beyond this life. we don't view life simply as what's happening today and we know that when death comes there's more to come and we understand that if we are without christ is an eternity in hell where the worm dieth not and where there is no quenching of their thirst and there's weeping and gnashing of teeth forever Or, if you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you shall forever be with the Lord in heaven. So we have a glorious hope beyond this life. Two, because we are assured that we as believers will not endure the great tribulation to come. I think we can honestly say we would dread war in our country. And it would be horrific. I think we can dread the terrorist activities, the hostilities, but that pales compared to the seven-year tribulation. And we don't have to worry about that one. That one will not be ours. And then in chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, we are comforted in our soul-winning efforts In chapter 2, verse 19, For what is our hope, or joy, or crown, or rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? For ye are our glory and joy. We have a hope of a great rejoicing time that when we gather around the Lord Jesus Christ, there will be those that we have led to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have spared them an eternity in hell. We have spared them if the rapture would happen in their lifetime from enduring the seven-year tribulation. We have been able to give them the gospel. They've gotten saved and they're with us in heaven. What joy, what rejoicing that will be. And it gives us an encouragement and a motivation and a desire. Especially to reach the loved ones and beyond. And then it is chapter 5 and verse 8 and on down. It is by this truth we are comforted comforted and able to challenge one another towards holy living. In verse 8, but let us who are of the day be sober. Putting on the breastplate of faith and love. And for an helmet... The hope of salvation. And it continues on. And if you'll read that whole chapter. It talks about uh, edifying one another. And encouraging and strengthening one another. To be able to live a godly life. It gives us motivation to live godly. The purpose of Bible prophecy is not to draft a calendar. But to build character. Another quote. 1 Thessalonians, the emphasis is upon the rapture of the believers. The coming of Christ is a purifying hope and should lead to sanctification in our lives. 1 John 3, 3, every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. The author said, I'm not interested in how enthusiastic or excited you are over the truth of the rapture of the church. I want to know how are you living? This gives us hope. This gives us confidence. This gives us strength that we can live to honor and glorify our Lord and not live in fear. I believe God has taught us these things to comfort our hearts and to help us live with confidence in God's eternal plan as we live in this corrupt and decadent world. God has given us the grace sufficient and the strength and especially the hope and the reason to live today. What do you do? Just do what a Christian is supposed to do. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. (laughs) What do you do? This is the will of God. He says this in 1 Thessalonians, read this book. The sanctification and honor of your life. Setting apart to God. I don't know how all of this is going to fall down. But the Bible teaches me how to stand up. And how to run. And how to walk. And how to move forward. And be comforted in that fact. And then as John said, Come now Lord Jesus. We are ready for him. Father, we come to you this morning, and there is so much more, but our time is gone. And Father, by and large, I've preached to encourage the believer, to strengthen, to motivate, to to go on and, and obey the Lord with confidence and in his strength. But Father, it may be that somebody is without Christ. And I didn't have time to go into that passage that said those that would reject the truth would be given to all deceivableness of lies and condemnation. So, Father, if there is somebody listening to this message, they would grasp that truth. While I want to comfort the believers. I want to warn the unbelievers that today is the day of salvation. And Father, I pray that you would bring great conviction to their heart. In Jesus precious name.
3: Amen. Thank you for listening to the Foothills Baptist Gospel Hour. For more information about Foothills Baptist Church of Loveland, Colorado, you may visit our website at foothillsbaptistchurch.com. If you wish to donate to this radio ministry, please make your check payable to Foothills Baptist Church and mail to P.O. Box 771, Loveland, Colorado, 80539. Or you may go to our website at foothillsbaptistchurch.com and click on the Give tab. We would love to have you visit our regular Sunday services with morning worship at 9.30, Sunday school at 10.50, and Sunday evening at 5 o'clock. And until we meet again, be sure you are...
4: Sweet.
5: are you prepared for a power outage never be left in the dark again wagner electric has proudly partnered with generac to provide long-lasting generators for your home we have standalone and portable generators in stock now so give us a call for a free estimate at 970-800-3693. If you are constructing or upgrading your home, trust our expert electricians to take care of your home the first time. We offer services for anything from wiring an unfinished basement to wiring a newly built pole barn. Your electrical system is the heartbeat of your home don't risk it and give us a call today to get started at 970-800-3693 or visit us at wagnerelectricco.com. We are located off Highway 85 in Greeley at 1517 2nd Avenue. Wagner Electric sets the standard.
3: I'm Joe Jaquin, CEO of the Patriot Trading Group, and I would like to encourage everyone to make sure they are prepared financially as the Federal Reserve continues to destroy the value of the dollar. Since the closing of the gold window in 1971, the Federal Reserve has led the way in the explosion of debt and the devaluing of your money. They openly say that they need 2% inflation, which simply means they hope to devalue your money, and they want to do this every single year, year after year. I know it's hard to understand, but the Federal Reserve believes in prosperity through debt, and grow via the devaluation of your future. To learn more about how to protect yourself, visit us at allamericangold.com or call us at 800-951-0592 and protect yourself against the devaluing of your money.
1: This is Steve Ramsey Auto Group. Hey, this is Mike from Ramsey Auto Group. Just stopping in to say hi... This is Rick Rodriguez. Christ said he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Join me on Sundays from 9 to noon for the Olive Tree and Lampstand Ministry Radio Church Program on 1360
5: AM KHNC. Hi, this is Tammy Cuthbert-Garcia with Naturally Inspired Radio. Tune in Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. for the latest in natural health news. Get real solutions for healthy living and hear from our inspiring guests that are leading the way in health and freedom.
3: You're listening to the Roar of the Rockies, KHNC, 1360 AM, Johnstown, Greeley, Loveland, Fort Collins.
1: The views and opinions expressed on 1360 KHNC are entirely those of the hosts, guests, and callers.